Well, we're thankful for your attendance here this morning. It's good to look out and see several visitors here with us today, and whether you're a member or a visitor, it's always good when we can come together and offer strength and encouragement to one another as Christians and to come into the presence of God and worship Him together. I hope the time we all spend here together this morning will be uh, uplifting and, and strengthening for us. I want to begin by reading again the 100th Psalm that Tristan read a few moments ago. That's the text we want to walk our way through together this morning. The psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we're his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. We are a people who have been truly blessed by God. And we should be at the forefront of those who give thanks to him and bless his name, as the psalmist says. Yet we take so many of our blessings for granted. Last week, we were without water for all about three days. Now, that's one of those things that is so commonplace, we don't even think about it. You just go to the tap there and turn it on, and out it comes. But when you go without it for a few days, you start to realize just how precious that is. And how sad is it, and I'm talking about myself here, that we take for granted something that so much of the world still doesn't have access to, clean, running water. Or if you want to go more into a luxury item, for about three weeks now, we've been without a dryer our clothes dryer went out, and we've had the repairman come out a couple of times, and it turns out it's an electrical issue, so we're going to have to get an electrician out. But at any rate, you can still dry your clothes without a dryer, and yet the dirty shirts are starting to stack up, and every time I take a shower and dry myself off with a crunchy towel, I think about how much I really miss that dryer. These are things that we don't even think about, and yet, really, they're luxury items, not only through the whole sweep of human history, but just in comparison with so much of our world today. We have been blessed materially, but if we begin to make a list, as we've talked about uh, over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure all of our list would include things like our health, our family, our friends, the privileges and rights and freedoms we enjoy as citizens of this country. And then, of course, above all else, there are the spiritual blessings that we have, the salvation that we have in Christ, the family that we have here as brothers and sisters in Christ, the mercy that God showers upon us each and every day. We truly have a great deal to celebrate at Thanksgiving, and every day of the year. Do you ever think about how 
underprivileged by our modern-day standards, those pilgrims who came across on the Mayflower were. They set aside a day for Thanksgiving. And yet, the only food they had, it's not like they could run out to Walmart or H-E-B, it came from the sea or from the forest or from the ground where they'd planted it with a lot of help from the Native Americans. They had no means of transportation except their legs. They didn't have a great deal of money, which was okay because they didn't really have any place to spend any money at the time. They had no means of ready communication with their family back in England or the other members of their community that they'd left behind back in Holland. They had no amusement except what they made for themselves. They didn't have any retirement, social security. They didn't have Medicare. But they certainly didn't think of themselves as underprivileged. Instead, they determined to thank God, though probably not for a bountiful harvest in 1621. I touched on this a little bit in our bulletin article this morning. But the first true thanksgiving probably occurred two years later in 1623. This is a part of the story that we don't know. Our mythology didn't hand this down to us. What you might not know is just a few weeks after that harvest festival that we all know about in 1621, a ship unexpectedly arrived from England. Ironically, it was named the Fortune. But it had 35 new settlers on it. 35 settlers that they weren't planning for, which on the one hand was good because it replenished the depleted ranks of the pilgrims. But on the other hand, these 35 people were criminally provisioned by the company in London that had sent them out. They had hardly any clothes. They had no housewares, so no pots, no pans, no bedding. Worst of all, they literally had no food. So in other words, that bountiful harvest that was going to see everybody through the long winter, now it was spread pretty thin because they suddenly had another 35 mouths to feed. So the pilgrims faced starvation again. They made it through that winter, but the 1622 harvest, by comparison, was pretty meager. And so as the calendar turned into 1623, conditions were grave. In May of that year, a drought came. For nearly two months, it almost didn't rain at all. The ground was parched. The corn started to burn up. It looked like they were going to lose everything. And so they decided to set aside a community day of prayer so that they could try to beseech God to seek his favor, to ask him to send the rain. Well, that morning they got up, and it was a lot like this morning, a bright, cloudless day. But by the time that prayer service was over, eight or nine hours later, I'm not kidding, there's something else to be thankful for. You won't be here that long today. But by the time that prayer service was over, the sky had started to become overcast. And by the next morning, it started to rain. And it rained every day, a gentle, uh, dropping, constant, steady rain for the next 14 days. 
And so in light of that, because they had all gotten together to pray to God for the rain, they thought it only proper that they should get together as a community to thank him for that. One of their leaders, uh, Bradford's right-hand man, Edward Winslow, put it this way. We thought it would be great ingratitude if we should content ourselves with private thanksgiving for that which by private prayer could not be obtained. And therefore another solemn day was set apart and appointed for that end wherein we returned glory, honor, and praise with all thankfulness to our good God. From the perspective of the pilgrims, that is the first thanksgiving. And I think that's a much more interesting story. Because that reminds us that thanksgiving is a distinctive holiday. In fact, it's a distinctively Christian holiday holiday. After all, as I used to think when I was working at my part-time job in Austin with a lot of uh, atheists, a lot of secularists, who are we thanking if we don't believe in God? This isn't a day that's set aside to commemorate a battle. It's not an anniversary. It's not a, a birthday. This is a day when we express our gratitude to God for everything that he's done for us. And this week we'll pause once again to celebrate it. And you'd think that since we're so abundantly blessed compared to those pilgrim fathers that we would be an extremely thankful people, wouldn't you? But that's often not the case, is it? In fact, it seems sometimes like the more we have, the less satisfied we are the less thankful we are, the less mindful of God we are, the more we want. We have to keep feeding the beast. And that's where these psalms of thanksgiving that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks come in, I think, because they help point us to being a more grateful people. The 100th psalm does that in particular. It helps remind us to be thankful and to maintain that spirit of gratitude. Now, the 100th Psalm, of course, this is a community psalm of thanksgiving. You can see this was everyone here going to the temple. We're coming into the courts of God with thanksgiving, with praise. So this was written for Jewish worship. God gave them a word of caution in the long ago when they entered into the promised land, just on the cusp of it. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Israel is encouraged to remember everything that God has done for them. He reminds them of how he brought them up out of Egypt. He reminds them of his provision for them in the wilderness. He urges them to keep the law then in response. And then he warns them, beginning in verse 11, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. 
Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it's he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. God tells them, when you get in the land that I'm going to give you, and you've built your nice warm houses, and all the crops are coming in, and your flocks are abundant, don't forget about me. I'm giving you a land that's flowing with milk and honey, but don't forget that I'm the reason that you have that. The Israelites needed a reminder. And I'm convinced that we need that very same reminder. That what we have doesn't come about because of our own power. It's because God's given it to us. In fact, I think God may have had that in mind when this psalm was written. If you go back to the 100th psalm, did you notice to whom it's addressed? Even though this is a song for Israelite worship, the very first verse says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. The last verse says that his faithfulness extends to all generations. So in other words, the message of thanksgiving applies to everyone of every age in every place around the world, in every era of history. It doesn't matter. This is universal. It applies to all of us. And so it's somewhat sad then that when we think of Thanksgiving days, only the United States, Canada, and the Philippines of worldwide countries celebrate it. I wonder what it would be like if everyone had a, a Thanksgiving day, if our world would be any different. But there's also a danger in determining our thanksgiving based on what we have. Do I really have enough in order to truly be grateful to God? Do I have enough turkey and dressing to gorge myself sufficiently? How's my money in the bank doing? Is it safe? Even better than that, are my investments getting good return? Am I healthy? We make our thanksgiving dependent on that, and we let our circumstances determine whether we are or we aren't thankful. I don't know if he'd want me to share this or not, but uh, Tacey, you can decide whether or not you want to tell him this. I had a good visit with Derek Lofton this week, a uh, good long visit, and I think most of us know by now that Derek sustained some really serious injuries in a workplace accident. He has uh, second, third degree burns over a lot of his body, even over a significant portion of his face. And he's, he's doing pretty well. He's at home. Uh, he's in good spirits. He's uh, st in some pain. And it's going to be a, a while before things get back to normal for him. He can't really be around people or, or get outside very much right now. But he said something to me this week that is stuck with me. It's been rattling around in my brain, especially at this time of year. He said that right after that accident happened and he's laying there on the ground waiting for the ambulance to come for what was probably just a few minutes but seemed like an eternity for him, of course. 
that he started to have all those predictable thoughts go through his head. Why me? Why is this happening to me? And then he got a hold of himself and he thought, wait a minute, man, you're lucky. You're alive. Thank God for that. That's precisely the attitude that the psalmist is trying to instill in us here. The psalmist says that those things going on around us, they don't matter. Those things that we value so much, they can rot, they can burn up, they can be stolen. But what really matters, the basis of our thanksgiving, is our relationship with the Lord. That's what this emphasizes. You notice when we read it, verse number one, you'll find the name of the Lord. Verse number two, you find the name of the Lord. Verse number three, you find the name of the Lord. Verse number four is the only one you don't, but he's mentioned Enter his gates, obviously the Lord's, with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Every clause he's mentioned. Verse number five, you find the name of the Lord. The basis of our thanksgiving is the Lord. Ultimately, everything that we have is due to God's bountiful grace. Every good and perfect gift. We all know that passage, James says. It comes from above, from the Father of lights. That's the basis of our gratitude we need to remember that we got here with God's help and everything that we have comes from him. As we work our way through this psalm, you'll notice in these five verses, there are a series of five imperatives or five commands that are given. And I want us to keep these in mind this Thanksgiving. The first one is in verse number one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. The word that's translated there is a joyful noise. It comes from a a root that means uh, to break or to mar. And so figuratively speaking, we're talking here about something that splits your ears. That's how loud it is. It was uh, used of trumpet blast. It was used of battle cries. And so some of your translations might actually say something like shout to the Lord instead of just make a joyful noise. That's the idea. Shout to the Lord for for joy, a shout that comes out of the the very depths of our being. We're so happy. We're we're overwhelmed to be in his presence. Maybe you found an answer to a problem in him. Maybe he's pointed to you in the way that you ought to go. Maybe we just realize how truly blessed we've been, and we know that everything we have comes from him. So from the depths of your being, you don't hold back. You shout out that praise. The second command is in the first part of the second verse. Serve the Lord with gladness. Scripture teaches us that if we serve the Lord, that is, if we feed the hungry, if we clothe the naked, if we visit those who are hurting, anything that we do like that in the name of the Lord, if we're doing his work, then we're serving him. That's part of the point that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 25, isn't it? That picture of the last judgment when he says to those on his right hand, the ones who've fed the hungry and clothed the naked and visited those who were sick or who imprisoned, he said, you did it to me. When when did we see you like that and do that to you, Lord? Well, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I'm not sure we really grasp that. 
maybe sometimes we serve, we do good works, we do the Lord's work because we have a sense of obligation. Well, we just got to do it. It's our duty. Maybe sometimes we do it out of a fear of punishment of what God will do to us if we don't. Maybe we serve him sometimes out of guilt because we feel bad that we haven't done everything that we ought to do. I hope we don't serve him because we want others to see us serving him and make it all about ourselves and how wonderful we are. But the psalmist says, in whatever you do, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve God for its own sake, for the joy that we find in doing his will. The third command is in the second part of this second verse. Come into his presence with singing. Now, I want you to think about these first three imperatives here all taken together. The psalmist essentially says, you need to be a joyous, a a jubilant people. Shout with joy. Serve with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. I want you to take it seriously. Do this. Do this right now. Take a look around. Look at the people around you. Your right, to your left, in front of you, behind you, wherever. Do it. Do they look happy? I mean, sometimes I, I see some nods, yeah, but I trust me, a lot of you were sitting there before I said this like this. Very somber, very serious. And there's a time for that, but we can be reverent and we can be happy at the same time. And the psalmist reminds us here that when we come into the Lord's presence, we shouldn't have that scowl on our faces. This is joyous. And if you saw someone that didn't look happy just then, they probably were looking at you and thinking you didn't look too happy either. So it's okay. It goes around for all of us. The psalmist says, come before him with praise and with joy in your hearts. Then in the third verse, we find the fourth commandment. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us, and we're his. God took every bone, every joint. He welded it together with sinews, with muscles, with tendons, and with ligaments, and he covered all of that with skin, And he gave us eyes that see and brains that think and fingers that can reach out and grasp. God created us. He made us inside and out. He made you what you are. He made you what he wanted you to be. And he made me the way he wanted me to be. And if we really stop to think about that, that's a little bit of a a mystery. I'm not quite certain sometimes, a lot of times if I really think about it, why God would make someone like me with all of my flaws and my imperfections that I'm so keenly aware of call me to try to do his will that I feel completely incapable of doing sometimes. But in his providence, he decided that he needed someone like me for whatever reason. And he decided that about you, too. Every one of you out there in that audience this morning. 
And what's wonderful is he's not finished shaping us if we allow him to continue to work on us, to mold us, to fashion us into what he would have us to be. He's not satisfied with what you are right now. He's not satisfied with that unfinished product. He wants you to continue to be refashioned into that image of Christ who came to show us what true humanity was like. We're created in God's image. Jesus came to reveal to us truly what that means, what God has intended us to be all along. So let's give thanks for who we are, for the way God made us. And then he says in the second part of the end of that verse, Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Oh, there we are compared to sheep again. We talked about that last week. Those of you who were here when we looked at that 23rd Psalm, that's not necessarily a good thing. It's usually not. And when we realize that, most of us don't want to be sheep. We want to be shepherds. But the trouble is, we don't know where the green pastures are. We don't know where the still waters are. And we try to take the lead. More often than not, we end up lost out in the far country where he has to come looking for us and bring us back. So let's all be content to be the sheep and let him be the shepherd and follow him in the way he'd have us to go. The final commandment in verse number four. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And in the final verse, he comes around and gives us the basis for that again. We've already mentioned this. For, why can we be thankful? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We're talking here about the temple. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple symbolized the presence of God. This is the place where he dwelt in the midst of his people. And when you entered into the environs of the temple, people knew you had entered into the very presence of God. Now, that temple no longer exists. Sometimes people will talk about in a church building, a place where we all assemble. We usually call it the auditorium. Sometimes people will call that the sanctuary in the sense that, well, this is where God dwells. Well, he does in the sense that he dwells among his people and that when we assemble here together, he's here. But he doesn't inhabit this place, this physical space, any more than he does anywhere else on earth. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that we have a temple now. We have a temple, a place where God dwells just as surely as there was one in the Old Testament. It's in us, both collectively as the body of Christ and individually, God lives within us. We are his temple. We are the place where he dwells. That's one of the great blessings of the new covenant that the prophets looked forward to and that we find is fulfilled. God puts his spirit within us. That's part of the point Paul's making in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he's urging us to live in a particular way. The basis of the way we ought to live, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? That word for temple in the Greek, that's the word for the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, the place where the deity dwelled. 
your body, individual Christian, is just like the temple in the Old Testament. That's the place where God lives. Our Lord, our Lord, our good Lord, with his steadfast love, that's his covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness, his love that keeps on loving us and will not let us go. He's for us. He's with us. We live daily in his presence. I can't think of a better basis for thanksgiving than that. But what if God treated us the way that we so often treat him? What if God only met our needs to the extent that we give him our lives? What if we never saw a flower bloom because unlike those early pilgrims, we grumbled when God sent the rain? We're sick and tired of seeing it around here. What if God stopped loving and caring for us because we failed to love and care for others? What if God stopped blessing us because we refused to be thankful for his blessings in the past? What if God answered our prayers the way that we answer his calls for service? What if God decided to stop leading us tomorrow because we weren't following him today? Thankfully, our God is not like that. As the psalmist reminds us, he is faithful. His steadfast love endures forever. But isn't that all the more reason for us to be faithful to him and thankful to him in response? I hope and I pray that this will be a meaningful Thanksgiving season for you and for your family. But more than that, I hope that we can take this attitude of thanksgiving and not only let it characterize our lives for just a week in November, or even for the whole month of November, but that we can take it beyond this week to each and every day and each and every aspect of our lives. This morning, the Lord offers you his invitation. God has blessed us in so many ways. But if you've never become part of his family, if you've never become one of those sheep, then you're missing out on the greatest blessings that he has in mind for you. And so I want to urge you today to put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, and to turn to God in repentance and to be buried in the waters of baptism. Have your sins washed away. Be added to God's people. Have those wonderful blessings of being part of his family, of having forgiveness of sins, of having that promise of eternal life with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you already are a Christian, but in whatever way in your life you've demonstrated ingratitude, you haven't lived the way that God would have you to live. Maybe you need to make changes in a public way this morning. Whatever your need may be, if we can help you today in any way, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.